as we continue to worship through uh, the preaching of God's word. If you have a Bible, let me get you to turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28 is where we're going to be. And as you turn there, and as you get there, let me pray for us again. God, we thank you for um, how your spirit is already at work and already working in us, Lord, through this time. I just pray that you would continue to work as we know you will uh, through the preaching of your word. Um, yeah, Lord, may uh, you increase, may I decrease, um, may you uh, get all of the glory what's said. And uh, I pray, God, that your word uh, will do the work in all of our hearts in every way that you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Mark 2, starting at verse 23, reads as follows. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. If you're taking notes this afternoon, I have three points. And so this is going to be the outline of the sermon. Number one, legalism. We'll see that in verses 23 through 24. Number two, liberty. We'll see that in verses 25 through 26. And then number three, Lord of the Sabbath, Lord of the Sabbath. And we'll see that in verses 27 through 28. So legalism, liberty, Lord of the Sabbath. Let's look at the first point together, legalism. Look back with me at verses 23 through 24. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? In verse 23, we see that on one Sabbath, so Sabbath referring to the Jewish day of worship and rest, uh, that Jesus and his disciples were walking. And as they were walking, they began to eat grain from the grain fields. Now, this doesn't seem to be a big problem, does it? doesn't seem to be a big problem. I mean, think about it. The disciples and Jesus were just strolling, and they got hungry, and they saw some food, and they began to eat. No biggie, right? No biggie. Not to the Pharisees. Not to the Pharisees. This was, in their mind, a foul on the play, a major violation to the rules that they had in place. If you've been with us over the last few weeks or so as we've been studying Mark and specifically uh, thinking about the Pharisees and who they were, what we've been learning about them, that they were the religious elite of that time, of Jesus' time. And they believed and they followed in a rules-based, works-based salvation, which is really no salvation at all. 
And they were the rules police. They were the security guards of the law. They were like Day Day in that movie Friday After Next. Some of you all may have seen Friday After Next. Uh, in the movie, Craig, Ice Cube, and Day Day, which is Mike Epps, are security guards. They're security guards of like a little mall strip in the area, and it's the Christmas season. And it's the scene where the ladies are singing Christmas carols in front of a store. And Day Day comes blowing his whistle, talking about this is a violation. You are breaking the law by singing Christmas carols, a group of ladies singing Christmas carols outside of a store. So he was taking his job a little bit too serious. And I remember, I remember you guys probably remember this one scene. Like, he's like, man, we top flight security of the world, Craig. We top flight security of the world. Well, the Pharisees come asking Jesus and the disciples a question. And they come in a way similar to how Day-Day came to the ladies uh, coming with a violation, a foul on the play. And this embedded question has a rebuke. It's embedded with a rebuke. Look at the question again in verse 24. It says, and the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So they asked specifically why the disciples were doing what was not lawful on the Sabbath. So key words, not lawful. Key question to ask, not lawful according to who? Not lawful according to who? You see, the Sabbath was created by God. And as Sister Nicole just read the passage before uh, in Genesis 1 Genesis 2, excuse me, 1 through 3. I'm going to read it again. But here, here's what it says. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he has done, that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. And since he created it, so we see here in this passage that God is the one who created the Sabbath. Since he created it, then he determines what's done or not done on it. Um, the Pharisees seem to have forgotten that. We'll come back to all of this later in the sermon. But when you look at this passage that I just read, we see that God is the one who instituted the Sabbath. He then later commands the people of God to keep the Sabbath in the law. So Exodus 28 through 11, where, where the commands are given to the people of God. So here's this command. It says in verse 8 of Exodus 20, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do any, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Or you might think about it in a few other places. You can write these down, and I would encourage you to check these out uh, later today. But Exodus 31, 12 through 17, 
I'll say it again. So Exodus 31, 12 through 17, and then Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. And in all of these places, in summary, where the Sabbath is mentioned, it is clear that God wanted his people to not work on the Sabbath. It's clear from all these passages, and even the passage here in Genesis 2, and even in the commandments, that God wanted his people not to do any work on the Sabbath. But then as we've been learning about legalism over these last few weeks, and specifically the Pharisees, as it relates to legalism, the Jews added a layer or a wall around the command to keep the Sabbath, to ensure no one would break it. As Dr. Aiken puts it, he says, the general rule was do no work that is not absolutely necessary. And essentially, there was no work that was absolutely, absolutely necessary unless it was something that was a matter of life and death if left incomplete. Something you might do to, to stay alive. So essentially, something that was created to be a blessing for man was made into a burden. It was made into a burden. The Sabbath was created to be a blessing, a day of rest. But what has happened is it's been made into a burden. One quick application as I was just kind of thinking about this, this is how some of us might treat our Christian life. So when we think about reading the Bible, when we think about our prayer time, when we think about gathering together as a church, when we think about doing what we were doing just this morning, going out and evangelizing, sharing the good news of Christ, as we think about what we do in our pods, coming together and seeking to do spiritual good deliberately to one another by discipleship. Some of us, in the same ways that the Jews have taken the Sabbath, which was something that was to be a blessing for the people, has, has now become a burden to the people. And in some ways, we in our Christian walks do the same things where God has given us all of these blessings. All of these blessings. It is a blessing to come to church. It's a blessing to read our Bible in the English language. It's a blessing to be able to go out and share the gospel freely. It's a blessing to do all these different things, X, Y, and Z. And what sometimes happens is we take those blessings, those gifts, and they become a burden to us. It becomes a burden to us. Where it wasn't created or wasn't uh, meant to be a burden. Something that is instead a blessing became a burden. And so I just want us to think about that for a second, just to think about it really briefly of just like, these are God's gifts. These are gifts that God has given us. May we not take God's blessings, his gifts, and make them a weighty burden. We just were singing about freedom, that we are free. And by God's grace, we are free to come and worship. We are free to read our Bibles. We are free to pray. We are free to disciple. We are free to evangelize. We are free to do life together. Let us not take those things and, and make them into something that God didn't essentially mean for us. 
may we be even the more free as we leave from here today, knowing that, man, these are God's good gifts to us. They are blessings from him. And they are not meant to be a weight that is uh, weighty on us or like holding us down, but instead they are meant to be, yeah, a life-giving and a blessing. So may that, for whoever that might be in here today, and myself included, may that challenge us and encourage us as we even think about it. Like when you go to your Bible, when you go to your Bible as something that is meant to be life-giving for you and refreshing for you and an opportunity for you to know God and enjoy him more, think about your posture when you're coming to God's holy word. Do you see opening your Bible as a burden or a blessing? You see it as a, a, as a gift? You see it as, man, like this is what God has, has given me, and I'm going to enjoy God's gift today, this opportunity to hear his voice? Or do you instead see it as a weight, a weight on your shoulder, something else that you have to do, something else on your checklist that stresses you out, creates anxiety? wasn't meant for, for that. This is God's good gift, God's good word, God's good blessing. So may we be encouraged in that. Back to verses 23 and 24. You might be wondering as you kind of read through that, and as I've been walking through that, you might be wondering, like, well, where is the violation? Where, where is the violation? Where is the wrong that's being done in this scene? And in this sense, there really isn't one except if you find a loophole. And in this case, the Pharisees try to. Let me explain. So, and uh, certain commentaries were helpful as I was uh, looking at this and reading through this. But in the Old Testament, we have some miscellaneous laws that were listed. So think about Deuteronomy 23, 25. Here's what it reads. It says, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So in this case, the Pharisees really can't pin this on Jesus and his disciples. They really can't uh, pin this on them as a violation in the sense of they don't have a sickle, which a sickle is an old school farming tool that they would use for harvesting. So they don't have a sickle. But when you look at Exodus 34, 21, Here's where the Pharisees try to build a case against Jesus and his disciples. Exodus 34, 21, it says, Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. This is their aha moment. This is their I got you moment. They try to accuse Jesus and his disciples of plowing and harvesting on the Sabbath by plucking and eating the grains. This is what they're essentially trying to accuse them of. I know it's a strange argument, but this is what legalism does. Legalists try within their power to hold up any type of rule. And if there's someone who sort of seems to be breaking that rule in their perspective, they'll try to con them by it. They'll try to use whatever they can to trap them in that rule. And if they are missing that, if they are disobeying that in their perspective, 
And they'll use that to condemn them, to rebuke them. But little do the Pharisees know that in doing so, they are dismissing people with a legitimate need in order to keep a man-made rule. And one in particular that they're using to manipulate. So they're, they are, in doing so, dismissing a legitimate need. And they're using this law to manipulate. What about, what about us? What about you? What about me? Are there some rules or certain things that you have in place that you're upholding as law, and if we poked at it a little bit, it would prevent you or me from helping someone in need? Now, I want to I be, be careful here. For some of us, we may have some particular convictions about different things. Um, and I think convictions are okay. I think, I think certain convictions are okay as long as they don't become a rule or a law that we hold up as Bible, that we hold up as Bible. So I want to challenge us all in that. If there are things that we might have in place, and we're all guilty of that, I'm guilty of it. If there are things that we have in place or had in place, if it's a, a, a rule or if it's a conviction of some sort that prevents us from helping someone in need, I want to challenge us to, to think about that, to tweak that, or to rid ourselves of it as a whole. Don't want, once again, convictions are okay. And convictions about particular things are okay. I think um, thoughts and different things along those lines that, that, you know, help us in particular ways are okay as long as we don't make them Bible. Make them Bible. And hold them like the Pharisees are doing with this rule that they are not allowed to eat on the Sabbath as Bible. Which leads to our second point. So number one, legalism. Number two, liberty. Number two, liberty. Look back with me at verses 25 through 26. It says, and he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. So Jesus here reminds them of Scripture. So he reminds them of Scripture when King David did something similar to what the disciples did. King David was hungry and in need and ate some of the bread that was only to be eaten by the priest. And so this is uh, pointing us back to uh, the bread at the tabernacle, uh, where God's presence dwelled. He's pointing us back to uh, 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read this. It says in 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6, it says, Then David came to Nob, to, Am- to Am- excuse me, Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has charged me with the matter and said to me, let no, one, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread and whatever is here. And the priest answered David, 
I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. There's a lot here to unpack. I won't do that here now, but I do want to point out what Jesus does here is profound. What he does here is is profound. One, that he uses scripture, that he uses scripture, that he points the Pharisees back to God's word, to the Old Testament. So again, as we've been learning about the Pharisees, the Pharisees were adding to God's word. So they're adding to God's word, but Jesus here shares God's word in his gloriousness and in its pureness that it's enough, that he points them to God's word and puts God's word as the standard. This is the standard by which you are to live by and to uh, commit yourselves to. Two, he provides a relevant example in David basically doing the same thing as the disciples. He provides a relevant example in David, basically doing what the disciples here are doing. And then three, as I've already mentioned, is that Jesus upholds the need over the rule. He upholds the need over the rule. David and the disciples were both hungry and in need of food, as we've been seeing. The Pharisees dismissed that need. They would rather see people hungry than them break a law that they've created. They would rather see the people hungry. They would rather see the disciples hungry than them break the law, a man-made law that they've created. So Jesus here is like, no, 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 no. For one, your rule isn't Bible. Your rule isn't Bible. It isn't the standard by which anyone should keep. Second, it's unloving. It's unloving to withhold this food from someone who's in need. It's unloving. We have to be caring for one another. Third, there's liberty here. There's liberty here. In other words, there's freedom here. David was free to eat of the bread because the priest, as we saw in this passage, prioritized David's need. He prioritized David's need over the law, over the law. The disciples were free to eat the grains because Jesus prioritized their need. He prioritized their need. There's no law against being hungry and eating when you're hungry. So we see here Jesus prioritizing the need, which then leads to our last and final point. So we looked at legalism. We looked at liberty. Now, number three, and lastly, Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of the Sabbath. Look back with me at verses 27 and 28. It says, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So what we see here in verse 27 is who made the Sabbath and who the Sabbath was made for. Who made the Sabbath and who the Sabbath was made for. So the Sabbath, as we've been seeing was created by God. 
was created by God, as we've concluded from Genesis 2, 1 through 3. And he gave this day of rest to the people as a blessing to be kept. Essentially, what Jesus is saying here is that this day was made by God for them, for the people, not them for it. So in other words, because it was made for you, you don't get to change the law for your purposes. You don't get to change the criteria, the details of it, because you weren't the one who created it. God is the one who created the Sabbath. And as we see here in verse 28, Jesus then refers to himself by the title that Mark uses over and over throughout this gospel, Son of Man. I'm going to connect the two in a second. Son of Man. This title comes from Daniel 7, 13 through 14, where it reads, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, right? And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So, so this is Jesus who Daniel is talking about, the son of man, the son of man, Jesus, who is God. We see another title listed here, Lord, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Lord meaning master or a person who has authority over another, right? And in this case, including the Sabbath. So Jesus here is doing what he's been doing from the beginning of his ministry. He's fulfilling the prophecies that were prophesied about who he is and what he was coming to do, that he is God, that Jesus is God. This is the whole point. This is the whole point of this passage right now that that Mark is trying to get across, that Jesus is God. It's the whole point of the book of the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus is God. He is the one who instituted the Sabbath that he's saying here, and he is the Lord. He created the Sabbath and rules over the Sabbath. He created it for the people to enjoy, not the Sabbath becoming a burden for them to hate. And because he's Lord, he then dictates what should or shouldn't happen on the Sabbath. This is the point. This is the point, that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, that he's Lord over all. And because he's Lord over all, because he's master over all, then he gets to dictate what should and what shouldn't be. So the question for all of us, as we come to a close here shortly, who is your master? Is Jesus your master? Is he your Lord? Is he my Lord? Or are you being mastered by someone else or something else? Who rules over you? Rules or the ruler? If you're here and you're not a Christian, 
I want to implore, I, wanna, I want to plead with you that you would agree with what God says about you. That you're a sinner. That you have sinned against a holy, righteous God. And that because of your sin, you deserve God's judgment, his just and good judgment. And if he were to judge you in your sins, you would be guilty. And you would be eternally separated from him. But the good news is that he sent his son. He sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect, sinless life that you and I could never live. He was treated as a criminal, sent to the cross where he died, where he was crucified and he died. He was buried, but the grave didn't hold him long. On the third day, he was resurrected from the dead, offering salvation to all who would repent and turn to him by faith. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we want to invite you to know God. We want you to know that you can be saved today. Confess your sins before him and trust him. Believe upon him for salvation. If you would like to learn more about that, we'd love to talk with you after the service and process that more with you and what it means for you to turn from sin and to turn to him by faith. And for the Christians in the room, may we be reminded of this great news that has captured our hearts, that has captured us. God has captured us with his love. And so as we think about being reminded of this good news that is applicable to every aspect of our lives, may we be reminded that God wants us to worship him, that God wants us to seek to please him, and that we are free to please him because of what his son has done. And that if we are trying to please God by any other means, by any other way, by keeping rules, by keeping the law, by doing this, by doing that, then we're missing the freedom in Christ that he has won for us. And so my encouragement to us as Christians in the room and as non-Christians in the room, stop working. Stop working. Stop working for approval from God and receive the approval from the Son and rest in that. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of rest, and he wants us to rest in him. And as we rest in him, we'll then be compelled to work, not because we're trying to work for his approval or work for salvation, but by resting in him, we work from our salvation. We work from the rest that God has given us. So may we as Christians and non-Christians in the room be reminded of that this afternoon, and may we leave from here as rested people, as rested people. May we rest. May we rest in what God has done for us. Amen? May we rest in him. Let's pray as Nikki comes back up. Father, indeed, we do need your help. 
we want to work, Lord. We want to work. If some of us are honest, we want to work for your approval. We want to prove ourselves to you. And the freedom this afternoon is that we don't have to work for your approval, but that we can be approved in the Son, that you approve us in the Son, in what Christ has done in our place, and that that was enough. That was enough. And because of Christ, we can now worship you freely and rightly and rest rest so lord for some of us this afternoon that might just be the word for us that we need to rest that we might need to rest physically some of us are tired if not all of us we're all tired lord but then also spiritually that we need to rest spiritually resting in you and we thank you for that gift of rest that you give us help us all lord to to live in light of that but would you break in our heart break in our minds this this posture of wanting to work for something to to yeah to be worker bees lord Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves and to rest in what you've done for us and that we can trust that that was enough because it is and that none of us, by your grace, those of us who know you, when we get to heaven, when we, get to your, when we, when we come to your presence, none of us are going to be able to say that we did it <laughs> on our own. Like None of us are going to be able to say, Lord, look, look at what we've done to, to earn your salvation. But all of us are going to say, man, we thank you for what your son has done to grant us your salvation. So because that's true, because that'll be true when it's all said and done, help us to believe that that's true now and to live in light of that the rest of this day. And as we go into this week, resting in what you've done alone for us and your rest compelling us to want to worship you, reading your word, being in prayer, being in intimacy with you, sharing the gospel, discipling others, coming to church, gathering with the saints. All of these freedoms and these gifts that we get to do may our heart posture not see that as like, man, I got I to gotta do all these different things and that's going to grant me salvation. No, these are things that we do because we're saved. That's a big difference. And that out of the overflow of our lives, it's worship unto you. So may we work and worship you, and may we worship and work you, work for you, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.